I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Back to the Statman Day Football Podcast. This is episode 10. On today's episode, we're going to be talking the news and then we're going to jump on to a little bit of a QA with Stephen Alson from Full Time Devils. Anyway, let's get this party started. So let's do the news. Well, there's only one story that's been dominating the news for the past 24 hours, and that is Claudia Ranieri sacking as Leicester City boss. Leicester City won the Premier League for the first time in their history last season. Their side was combative, aggressive, scored a hatful of goals and, and looked like deserved champions. In a season that Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea were so poor, Leicester were the shining light. They broke with pace, with aggression. Some of the goals that they scored on the counter-attack were fantastic. Players like Rio Mahrez, Jamie Vardy, Ngulo Kante, Danny Drinkwater all combining so well together and really building a side at Leicester City. Nigel Pearson started the, the turnover of Leicester's fortunes, going to a 3-4-3 and pressing from the front and being very aggressive. He was actually let go in the summer and Ranieri was brought in. Ranieri took that momentum that Nigel Pearson had built in terms of the style of football and the aggressive pressing from the front and evolved it. Moved Leicester City to a 4-4-2. They were incredibly hard to beat, they were so good on the break, and if teams gave them space in behind, there was no coming back. With Riyad Mahrez playmaking from that left-hand side and creating so many goals for Jamie Vardy, it was a fantastic combination with pace, skill and trickery. And also Danny Drinkwater partnering Gulo Kante, Danny Drinkwater being the playmaker of the side and assisting a number of Jamie Vardy goals. And of course Gulo Kante, the guy that unfortunately moved to Chelsea in the summer, was the key cog of the side. Played arguably two roles for the Leicester City midfielders, an aggressive presser, but also as recovering the ball and recycling it deep in midfield. But going back to the sacking, it is pathetic. Where has football gone? What has happened? From winning the Premier League, the biggest achievement we've seen in European football since Verona won Syria in the 80s, I don't know what's going on. You know, I just don't understand. This doesn't make any sense to me. As an owner, as a business owner, why would you sex one of your servants that's done something great? Not even a, not even a year has passed. Ranieri should have had five years 
to to do whatever he wanted at Leicester City, to do you know to evolve the side, and if he wanted to leave, he could leave. But in terms of how it's been handled by Leicester City, the sacking it's pathetic. And I can only sort of echo Gary Lineker's words: after all that Claudio Ranieri has done for Leicester City, to sack him now is inexplicable, unforgettable, and gut wrenchingly sad. I can't agree more. It's absolutely pathetic. Managers have come out in support. Jose Mourinho in the United press conference uh, today came out wearing a um, CR on his training top. Um, obviously for Claudio Ranieri and it's I just can't believe it I just couldn't believe the news when I heard it also there's reports that the players were involved in the sacking that he'd lost the players and they had a meeting after the defeat in Sevilla um, and basically said you know we've lost the confidence in the manager what happened to you guys that's pathetic you're not performing at the level you were performing at last season Jamie Vardy isn't scoring goals um, Riyad Mahrez isn't scoring isn't creating there's crazy stats where he's on like two, two, three goals and two assists. Last season he was on 13 goals and eight, 10 assists. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror sometimes as a professional, as a person in the world, and ask whether you are to blame. Not just point fingers. Not point fingers at Claudio Ranieri. Claudio Ranieri, when it was good, all the players loved him. How does that change so quickly? There's a lot of people in there that you've, that, that you've got to stand up. And they've got to accept responsibility. The likes of Wes Morgan, the likes of Robert Huth. Pathetic, absolutely pathetic performances this, this season. Kasper Schmeichel was the only leading light in Sevilla, um, but arguably hasn't stuck up for the manager in recent weeks. Again, not a very good respect, you know, not a very good build of his character and not good enough for a professional, for a professional player. These players are as much to blame as Ranieri for this poor form and they should have done it together. They should have built past this together. Arguably, Ranieri could have mixed it up, could have changed his formation, changed his system um, after he lost uh, Golo Conte arguably could have sold Vardy, sold um, Riyad Mahrez and just gone with a clean slate for the, the def- title defending season and it would have evolved the team. But that is, how can I say it? I'm looking back. I'm not there. I'm not in the moment. I can't make these decisions. But Leicester City's decision is inexcusable, is pathetic. And as a football club, I don't mind. I want them to get relegated now. I hope they, I hope they go down. I hope they're the, third, you know, they're the second team ever or whatever it is after Manchester City or whoever to win the, Prem, win the Premier League or win the first division of, Europe, of English football and then fall down. I want that to happen 100% because it's undeserved and it's pathetic and it's shocking. Finishing off with the Jurgen Klopp quote that summed up nicely uh, the Ranieri situation. Am I surprised like things can happen? No, a few few strange decisions with Brexit, Trump and Ranieri, which solves it. There's some crazy decisions there with Trump, with Brexit, in terms of the long-term development of both America and the European Union and the UK, which are pathetic. And Ranieri falls into that category of same stupid decision. But anyway, guys, that's enough of Dave ranting about Claudio Ranieri getting sacked as manager of, Le- of Leicester City, which is an abomination. Right, so moving on to the Q&A section of this week's podcast, we've got one man, Stephen Elson from Full Time Devils, to join me to answer some big questions. Very United focused this week. Sorry about that to all of the football fans. Anyway, Steve, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, man, mate. How are you? Yeah, decent. And I've you know, been on the Full Time Devils preview earlier this morning, so make sure you go and check that out because there's a lot of EFL Cup chat there. But anyway... Let's get to the questions straight away. So first question comes in from uh, at 44tweet or at 44eats. Let's say, write a sad story using three words. So I reckon we do it one word each, Halson. You go first. I've got the full story, mate. The full story. Go for it. Eric left us. Eric left us. Eric left us. Sad face. I'll throw that in there. So you met Eric Cantona yesterday, right? Where was that? Um, How did that happen? So Eric was at the Lowry yesterday, the Lowry Theatre, um, and the Lowry Hotel, which you would assume is right next to the Lowry Theatre, it's actually like three, four miles away. <laughs> um, 
if you've seen like um, Malada get pictures with him with all the players when they sign and stuff, it's because they all stay at the Lowry Hotel. It's the best hotel in Manchester. And people don't know that you can just go and wait in a bar area. You go and buy yourself a, a pint. You go and sit in there, uh, sit at the top of the stairs. And as they all come past, they have to come past you. So you just you know, <laughs> nice and politely just say, excuse me, can, uh, can I get a picture? And nine times out of ten, the sound. So last night the plan was Cantona's in Manchester. There's only one place he's going to be staying. Um, let's go and hijack him, basically. So we um, went after the after, went to watch the show at the Lowry. It was good. A little bit rowdy, to be honest. Some of the fans were too concentrated on singing. I just really wanted to listen to what he was saying um, because what he was saying was really good, to be honest, really good. Some of the stuff he was saying about fans, some of the stuff he was saying about his philosophy of how he thinks football should be played was excellent. Exactly what you wanted to hear from Cantona. So then we uh, legged it, me and Paula and my auntie, uh, legged it to the Lowry Hotel, rapid, um, got in there. I'm only in there 10, 15 minutes uh, and he comes through the lobby uh, comes up the stairs and I said, oh, excuse me, Eric, do you, do you mind if I have a picture? Uh, Adam's phone had died, so Adam had my phone. And <laughs> I said, uh, Adam had locked my phone instead of taking a picture. So I took my phone off him. And on my phone, I've got a picture of the Eric Cantona flag that I took to Afghanistan and Iraq. And I thought, I'm just going to show him. So I showed him. But his reaction absolutely blew me away. He went, whoa. Called his brother over. as like, have you seen this? Spoke a lot of rubbish in France. And he's like, will you send me this photo? And I was like, <laughs> I will do anything for you, mate. Honestly, I'll do absolutely anything for you. Uh, we ended up having a little bit of a chat about just nonsense. He was like, did you enjoy the show? And I'm like, I'm not going to be reviewing your show for you, mate. I just want to cuddle. Um, <laughs> man, he took a photograph. Adam took a photograph. He took a photograph of him. Um, give him a big hug. And he'd give you a big genuine hug as well. Um, he didn't look like he was in any sort of rush or anything like that. He looked like he had all the time in the world. Give me his business card to send him this email, Ooh, to send yeah. him this photograph. Um, so you better believe I've asked if he wants to come and do an interview with full-time devils. Um, and I've had a reply, but wait and see on that. Um, <laughs> Big that news. That. Yeah, I mean, I found a tweet that I'd sent three years ago, which said, if I get a cuddle off Cantona, I can die happy. Cantona is my all-time favorite footballer. Um, R9 runs him a close second. In terms of ability, it probably is R9, the best I've ever seen. But Cantona is the reason I'm in love with football. So a lifetime ambition fulfilled last night. Hopefully I'll be able to get something on camera sitting down and talking to him because I think there's a lot you can talk about with Cantona. Yeah, loads. You know, fascinating footballer. One of United's greats. Fascinating and, you know- man, mate. Fascinating man. He was talking about rebels. He was talking about, um, you know, proper rebels that are you know, working in dictatorships and the, the resistance and things like that. And art. He was he was really talking about Banksy quite a lot, and I think there's a lot of depth to him, uh, and I think football only scratches the surface with him. I think he's a, a fascinating man that I'd love to get deep with at some point. <laughs> get deep in with Eric Cantona. I know I'd love to meet him as well. One day, hopefully, I can you know get that in my locker book, a picture of Eric Cantona and potentially a hug. Moving on to other questions, uh, Panache Napel uh, on Twitter is asking, is Pep Guardiola a fraud? You know my opinions on Pep. I think he's a, I think he's a very, very... Good manager has taken Barcelona far, took Bayern Munich to a next level, will take Man City far, but this is to you, Alison. Is Pep Guardiola a bald fraud? I like to throw that out because it boils <laughs> piss, ultimately. No, he is a very good manager, but he's not the messiah. He's not the greatest manager that's ever walked the earth. I think he, there's things he has to prove. If he can build a dynasty at Manchester City, and that includes winning back-to-back titles and possibly a Champions League or two, if he replicates what he did at Barcelona with Manchester City, then I will hold my hands up first and be the first to congratulate him and say, do you know what, doing it in this league with that team, with that squad, uh, the way you've had to build it up, because it, it is a good squad, but it's not the, the best squad in the world. Um, 
then I, I, I have no choice but to hold my hands up. But the, the acid test for Pep Guardiola was always, can he do it without a team that was always winning? And people like to throw this stat up about how far off Barcelona was when he took them over. But that was a Barcelona team that was in the semi-final of the Champions League. Had been finalists, I think, the year before or 18 months before. This wasn't a poor Barcelona team. And you had Lionel Messi, Xavi and Iniesta. People say, oh yeah, you had them in the B team. Ultimately, he had them still. Do you know what I mean? He, these, weren't, these were players that was already at the club, already playing games under previous managers. When he stepped into that team, he had a ready-made core of a squad that was absolutely... That's the thing where I completely disagree. He had the the components and he turned these guys from those players that were in the B team, a very inconsistent Xavi, a young Lionel Messi, and he turned them into world superstars. But anyway, we'll move on from... (laughs) World beaters regardless, you don't know. We can only look at the evidence after the fact. You don't know if they'd have gone in a different trajectory under a different manager. Ultimately, he did have those players at his disposal, though. And... Without them players, we don't know what he's got. I mean, Bayern Munich is a different aspect altogether, and that's a you know a big fish in a small pond. Like I said, if he does it in Manchester City, I will absolutely hold my hands up because this is the acid test. The Premier League with that team is the acid test for him. Yeah, no, I kind of agree with that. I think in terms of his tactics this season as well, he's been slightly naive against certain opposition, you know, playing too many forwards, you know, think of the game against Everton, the game against Southampton. But the thing that really sort of stepped up at Guardiola's tactics and model for me was the game against Manchester uh, sorry the game against Barcelona the, the second game where he absolutely blew them away on the counter-attack and if Pep can add that to his managerial um, sort of style and, and what he can do as a manager he needs to start working on defending as well 100% but it's, it's one of those things where it, I think that will, with the Premier League, that will improve him as a manager. He'll have to do that because he can't play the same every single week because teams will figure them out. Like I mentioned before, Southampton and Everton when he was playing through at the back, which was a little bit silly for me. Anyway, let's move on to uh, Yannick's question. Uh, do you think Griezmann should be the number one target in the summer for me? 100% yes. Griezmann would massively upgrade this United team that already is competing for the top four. What do you think, Alison? Not the number one target, but certainly a target. And if he does come... I'm I'm not going to shake my head at it. I think it's a phenomenal acquisition if we do manage to get him. But I think the the big thing that Manchester United face is who replaces the Michael Carrick role if you're going to stick with 4-3-3. And I think a real, genuine, world-class midfielder to play alongside Pogba and even alongside Herrera, I think it's a shade under world-class himself. Uh, and then you've got a platform that you can bring anybody into. And if Griezmann's in front of those, happy days. But I think the, a midfielder, a real... When he's fit, he starts in the, the same vein as Latan and Pogba have been this season for us because we, there isn't enough of those at United at the moment. Someone who's a I'm fit, I'm playing, deal with it sort of player would massively upgrade this this team. Michael Carrick can't do it week in, week out at 35, but there's there's a handful. And people want to talk about Variety. I've seen a couple of questions asking us why yeah. don't we ever talk about Variety. I think Variety is an excellent option. I just don't really see that particular player coming off United. Weigl, similar just signed a new contract at Dortmund. You can get players out of Dortmund, but I don't think we're going to get this player out of him. Tony Cruz, again, is that another Manchester United signing? Not sure it is. And if we do go for him, then are we going to leave ourselves open to being like, well, we don't want to let him go. What are you doing with that Spanish goalkeeper fellow? So I think there's there's uh, positives and negatives to everybody. I, th- I like Bakayoko at Monaco. I think he'd be a real option. Not Carrick replacement in the terms of that they play football in the same style, but replacement in terms of he would take that number six role from Michael Carrick, I think. There's a lot of players out there that could do it, but I think that is a more important acquisition for United than a striker, but I would absolutely love Griezmann. I think he might be the best finisher in world football. 
It's interesting, well, it really is, like, how, how do you move on from Michael Carrick? Do you move away from the 4-3-3? I'd argue that that's probably the correct place to go, going to two holding midfielders with Antoine Griezmann off Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That's the, the perfect model for Antoine Griezmann. Obviously, you've got to fit a Paul Pogba in there that has looked all right at defensive midfield in this system in recent weeks, but, you know, you go back to the European Championships, you didn't see his best football there. In terms of the Verratti question, that comes from Soho Mama O. Um, why do you guys never talk about Verratti, the guy's a baller, uh, better Dan Carrick already? In terms of Verratti, is he going to leave PSG? Probably not. They're looking very competitive this season. He had an absolute worldie of a game against Barcelona. But in terms of replacing, directly replacing Carrick, I don't think he's that same player, that same uh, number six that Michael Carrick is in terms of how he reads the play. What do you it's think about Verratti? It's, it's, yeah, it's the same with Busquets. A very similar player, unbelievably good in his position. Fantastic at his role. But are you getting him out of Barcelona to come and replace Carrick? I don't think you are. And I think that's, it's just a realism thing. You can, you can go, oh, why are we looking at Griezmann? Why don't we get Messi? It's not Tesco's. We don't go into Tesco's and pick a guy <laughs> up off the shelf. You have to think about how they fit into the system. Are they likely to come as well? Because people forget that as well. They're like, why aren't we looking at him? Maybe we've already inquired and he's like, listen, I was a Liverpool fan growing up. I'm never going to play for United. You don't know how often that happens in football. And I think that happens a lot more than people think like, I don't want to play for United. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. But Verratti, again, would upgrade the Manchester United midfield. But I kind of agree with you, Steve, that it's... It's just too far-fetched. He's, he's at a club that's competing for the Champions League. He probably gets paid a wedge over there. He's always talked about going back to Italy, and he apparently he's a boyhood fan of Juventus. So potentially getting him back into that Juventus midfield would I, be I pretty that, disgusting. Yeah. You know, and I think be... France has also got like a, a, an absolutely disgustingly low uh, tax rate for their yeah. footballers. I think it's like 5 or 10%. It's flat, I think. Whereas yeah, in, in the UK, it's compound where, you know, you get over that 40k mark, you're paying loads of tax, where it's, it's different, especially in Monaco. You know, one of the reasons why Monaco have signed so many. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Of these young talent is because they can offer them so much money because the tax rate over there is even smaller. You know, there was talk of Liga being like, right, okay, Monaco, you've got to abide to the French uh, legal taxation laws because you're getting too much of an advantage here. But anyway, that's probably a little bit more too much economics and not enough like football it, for like the guys. <laughs> 
So, but next question coming from the, the packed mouse. Um, who do you think is a better number 10? Juan Mata, Henrik Mkhitaryan, Mesut Ozil or Kevin De Bruyne? Housen, let's go with your answer first. They're, they're all very similar and totally different at the same time, as much of a contradiction as that is. <laughs> they're, they're all excellent footballers with a wonderful touch and good vision. They've all got that in common. I think De Bruyne and Mkhitaryan like to run with the ball a little bit more. I think Ozil and Matt like to pick a pass a little bit more. I like Matt's intricacies around the D. I think that's where he does his best work. I wouldn't mind seeing how one Matt did as a false nine, you know. I yeah. actually think that he gets into the box in some absolutely belting positions. Same with Mkhitaryan too. Mkhitaryan gets on the end of a lot of stuff. My son asks me all the time, who's better, him or him? Who's better, him or him? And I go... I don't know. I don't know if you can constantly be ranking players. I like to say you have a pool of players that I would say they're among the best in the world. And I would say all of those four belong in the category that is among the best in the world. On one day, someone's going to play better than this guy, but the next week it'll be different. And then the following week it'll be different. And apart from Messi and Ronaldo, which I don't think is an answerable question, I think everybody else is third to those two. And those <laughs> two are the standout best in the world and everybody else comes at distant third to those two. Yeah, I don't think there's a massive gap there. In terms of what you mentioned there, in terms of like they are similar but very different, that's 100% right. You know, you think of Mesut Ozil, he's that guy that's completing the passes in the final third, not really being noticed in a game, but he's playing a very intricate role in a you know an important attack. You go back to his days at Real Madrid, he was a little bit more like Kevin De Bruyne, more of a counter-attacking number 10, but again, Kevin De Bruyne... He used to been, run with the ball quite a lot more there, yeah. Exactly, now been pushed back and now plays too many passes and it's too deep in, in the midfield for my personal preference of how Kevin De Bruyne um, you know, cuts the mustard. Mkhitaryan suits in a possession team playing out wide right suits a counter attacking team playing number 10 Juan Mata has looked really good for Manchester United this season playing on the right wing getting that freedom to drift across the line we saw against how he did it so well for the goal that uh, Mkhitaryan scored for Saint-Etienne Juan Mata just drifting across the pitch and that is why I love Juan Mata's his movement off the ball like you mentioned the false nine he probably could play there because he, he can finish apparently he was when he was coming up through the youth teams I think he was at Real Madrid he did actually play as a striker so potentially that's where his movement comes for him and then he's also got that interplay so in terms of rankings, who I would prefer in my system, my setup, if I was playing on the counter-attack, I'm probably going to go with Kevin De Bruyne because I loved what he did at Wolfsburg in that system. I wouldn't have the Kevin De Bruyne at Manchester City and have the Kevin De Bruyne at Wolfsburg. Halson, pick one. Who would you go with in your side? My side's Manchester United and uh, Mkhitaryan is the man <laughs> for us at the moment. So um, I think De Bruyne is a fantastic player. Um, I was gutted when he was signed for City I really was because I think uh, he's, he's an obvious talent um, Ozil he can't deny what he's done so yeah. far in his career um, his goal impact ratings off the chart uh, I think he's an excellent footballer and again one matter it's unfortunate for United at the moment that we have players very similar in mm. Matter and Mkhitaryan but also very different in how they play the game uh, because I think more more likely than not, unless you're going to absolutely dominate a team, if it's a, a you know a fifty fifty game or close to fifty fifty game, you're not seeing Matt and Mkhitaryan deployed. But when both of them play, and you couple them with somebody like an Anthony Marshall or a Rashford, who's very direct, I think you, you get a wonderful balance. And I think the four of those, uh, Matt and Mkhitaryan, Marshall and Zlatan as a four, I mean. They, on paper, don't really make a lot of sense. There's not a lot of balance to the way they work, but you see a lot of drifting from Mkhitaryan, a lot of drifting from Mata. Marshall just wants to run with it. Zlatan goes where he wants. And I think it works because I think 
They don't know where they're going to go. The defence hasn't a clue where they're going to go. And I think that movement in the final third is something that United haven't had for a few years. Since Fergie went, it's been very static in that final third. And I like the fact that these players are like herding cats, mate. They just go wherever they want. <laughs> they find the space and then they exploit it. And I like that. I think that's something that Mourinho's given Manchester United. Something that didn't happen under Louis van Gaal. Very zonal, very, you know, didn't like players interchanging positions. And that's what Mourinho's done. Credit to Mourinho. I do love what Mickey and, Mickey and Matt are doing together. I think they combine, like you said, so well. Their interplay's fantastic. The way that they switch positions at, at freedom is great. And I'd say that they are probably number the number one or number two. In terms of uh, Mourinho's attackers, you know, he's a band of attacking midfielders. In his team selection, I think now Mkhitaryan and Juan Mata have taken those two berths. And we saw against Saint-Etienne when United sit off. Those two players are lethal on the counter-attack together when they mm. combine. So I think that's a, it's a good spell for Manchester United and a good place to be. Um, coming in another uh, question... From uh, Makidi Dar, maybe I've just killed that guy's name. Sorry, buddy. Uh, Matt are more effective as number ten or on the right. Something that we've just spoke about there. For me, on as an uh, on the right, I like him how it positionally he drifts in and has shown some defensive work that potentially people didn't think he was capable of uh, over this season. House and right or number ten for one matter. I think when you play a 4-3-3, it suits him being on the right because there's no one in that space that the number 10 occupies and that allows him to ghost into that area. And I think that's what he's excellent at. I don't think he's excellent in the position on the pitch of a number two. If you have a tactics board up and you put that number 10 position, one man never does his best work there. But when he's selected there, obviously he does his defensive work there, his best work is still coming maybe to the right-hand side of the box maybe to the right-hand side of the D, um, off that striker, and sometimes even drifting up and doubling up on the left-hand side. So I will say on the right, because of the the way the team would line up around him, giving him that space in front of the box, but actually his best work happens centrally. Yeah, I kind of think that his best work is given the freedom from the right-hand side that he gets to go wherever the hell he wants and that is perfect for yeah, one exactly, matter yeah, yeah. but in a defensive sense obviously in the 4-3-3 helps a little bit more having someone like uh, Ander Herrera on the, as a right central midfielder that can pivot over and cover that flank anyway let's speed up these questions to try and get through as many as possible let's start uh, doing we ain't got nothing but time honey nothing but time mate anyway let's let's go so um, Tani Rowett says in how many years do you think United will win the Champions League again I'm going to go with two how soon no, we're not going to win it in two years. Although saying that, you're asking, are we going to be the best team in the in Europe or the world, potentially, in two years? And I think, no, we're not. However, just because you're not the best team doesn't mean that you're not capable of winning it. Chelsea was not the best team in the world. Uh, Liverpool was not the best team in the world. Um, there's been Porto, Monaco. There's been several examples where the best team in the world doesn't win it. But are you scoring goals and are you... You're up there. You know, no one has won it that's not been outside the top six or seven teams in Europe when they've won it. There's not been like a Leicester. No one's really. <laughs> we had, done we had that. a Porto in 2004, House, and a Porto Monaco final. That was yeah, but when probably you look back the only at, other time. When you look back at that team and you, you look at the players that was in that, they was underrated at the time. Those players actually was a lot better than they was being rated at the mm. time. And you can only look back at that. Yeah. But I think there's no one. There's no way Manchester United uh, are going to be the best team in the world inside two years. But I think you might be onto something that we could win a be competitive. because of yeah. Mourinho's tactical nous and because of some of the uh, game-changing players that we have in, in the squad. Now, I wouldn't put money on it, but can we get to the semi-finals? Yeah, I think we can get to the semi-finals. If we can get to the semi-finals, you're in with a shout of winning it. It, it. The finest of finest margins, better luck, bad refereeing decision, and before you know it, 
you know, you're winning on penalties. Exactly, and that is exactly how United won it in 2008, which was pretty sick. Anyway, moving on to uh, Abhilash Afonso's question. Tony Marshall as our number nine when Zlatan Ibrahimovic leaves. For me, yes, Housen? It depends. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing if Manchester United are able to play a forward three potentially, of, of Lukaku, Griezmann and Anthony Marshall. How moist does that get you? <laughs> Pretty decent. And in terms of Lukaku, though, I don't know if he... If you were playing in a 4-2-3-1 and you had Griezmann off Lukaku, Lukaku isn't the best player in terms of being a target man. Something that we've discussed uh, you know, off this podcast before. He is raw. He's more of a poacher, more of a goal scorer than actually bringing someone into play. So I'd like... No, it. no, no. He's not, he's, not your, he's not your Zlatan Ibrahimovic-style guy that will hold the ball no. up for others. But he is a battering ram target man in terms of he will get on the end of stuff and muscle his way through one-on-one. That I like about his game. And I think you have a bit more finesse brought in because I, if I if I could see how it would play out I would play 4-2-3-1 with Mkhitaryan behind him because obviously he's going to ghost into position yeah Griezmann on the right and it, him and Mkhitaryan could be swapping positions all the time and I think that would be really interesting to see and Andy Marshall just going smash 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 on that left hand side I think that would be an extremely potent forward four and if you get the midfield pairing, say a Tony Cruz or a Pogba sitting behind them. Now, come on, this is a starting eleven starting to look very, very tasty. I think. I think so. Yeah, but I just with with Lukaku, I just don't know if he's he's the right fit for this side right now. But I do like what you're saying about the the Mkhitaryan, um Griezmann partnership. How that would be such a rotation if he were to play on the right hand side and they were to switch positions and so forth. So I think that would get the best out of them. But I just like how Anthony Martial did play number nine for a brief spell under Louis Van Gaal. How he did rotate to that right wing and let Juan Mata drift into the inside and allow Wayne Rooney to become the striker. I quite like that fluidity and he was a lot stronger than we expected. Being what he was 19 years yeah, old a, when he was playing that he's position. Got a big old back on the guy. He's not a stranger to doing deadlifts by the look of him. Exactly, and so I, I think it'll work. But yeah, Lukaku would be another good option. Anyway, let's move on to. Some more, some more questions. Well, one of the things that a lot of people are asking about the, the uh, Europa League draw, so let's touch on that so we can answer all the questions together. United drawn against Rostov in the Europa League. A, a very good draw, in my personal opinion. United have got to go away first and then come home to Old Trafford again, giving them another advantage. Rostov, in terms of what they're doing this season, they were in the Champions League. They did beat Bayern Munich three goals to two, playing pretty much a 5-3-2. They just suffocated Bayern Munich in the penalty area, defended deep and hit them on the counter-attack. So it was... You know, it was a positive result for them, but United potentially have different tools than Bayern Munich. You know, they have like Zlatan and they have those runners from midfield. It'd be a great game. Housen, are you confident uh, going over to, to Russia and getting a result? Uh, no, not in Russia. United have never lost in Russia. Uh, we've also only won one game in Russia in those five games. So I'm not confident about getting a result over there, but I think we can beat them at Old Trafford and I think that's what it's going to have to be. A bit of a classic European, don't lose away, make sure you win your home. Um, I see people moaning about how far it is to go. It's no further than Turkey or Italy, really, in the grand scheme of things, on a private jet that the players will be travelling on. So that's not a major issue for us. What is an issue is the physicality of Rostrov. They're a team that's going to come and... And non-legal, essentially. They're not going to match us player for player in terms of skill. But the reason that they beat Bayern Munich, and they also give Atletico Madrid um, a bit of a tough time, was because they were just bullied them. And sometimes that can put you off your pace. What I like about Jose Mourinho's sides generally and what I like particularly about this Manchester United side is we're starting to get some bastards in the team. Eric Bayer, I, I, I wouldn't mug him, would you? <laughs> He'd absolutely beat the... Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Pogba, kick, uh, yeah. Herrera. There's, there's, some, there's some absolute mentalists. Rojo, there's some 
there's some tough lads in this team and we've not had that for a while. And even Wayne Rooney, if Wayne Rooney gets a run out as well, there's some players that will not wilt under the pressure. I think Marcus Rashford will. You've seen it when it kicked off in a derby. Uh, Marcus Rashford and Jesse Lingard, two of the smallest players in the side, <laughs> first in straight up there, fronting up what was going on. So I'm excited to how this goes down. Um, I, I was very impressed with San Etienne in the home leg, um, the, the one at Old Trafford. I thought their press, two strikers, don't let our back four settle, make it difficult, putting it through to the midfield was very good. And I thought, I expected them to do that in the home leg. Mkhitaryan killed the tie with that early goal. The mm. deftest of touches for it. The tie was over as soon as Mkhitaryan put that ball in the back of the net. And I think that's a bit of a shame, to be honest, because I was really intrigued to see how they would do with the crowd behind them uh, and if they was going to go for the same sort of press. Because if they'd have got the early goal, that crowd would have gone up 10x. And that was one of the best crowds we've ever seen. That was a, all four sides of the stadiums really giving it. You, that's, that's rare in modern football that like you get that. Uh, and I thought that crowd could have really carried them, but uh, Mkhitaryan's early goal put the tide to bed. And I was a little bit gutted in all honesty because the game became a bit boring then. They was never going to score five. We didn't really get to see that same sort of intensity in their press that we saw in the first half for Old Trafford. And it'd be interesting to see if Rostov can look at that and say, actually, San Etienne probably should have got an away goal in all probability. Um, they would, they would have been, it wouldn't have been unfair for them if they had gotten away goal because our goals was was quite poor. And they would have. They had the opportunities themselves to score a goal. So if if they can look at what San Etienne did, if I'm the Rostov coach, I'm looking at what San Etienne did to us, and I'm going to say, that's how we're going to do. We're going to go physical. We're going to put pressure on that back four. We're going to prevent the passing lanes through to the midfield, because if it's not coming through to the midfield, it's not getting through to Zlatan. And in that final third, the mistake that they made was not being able to capitalize on the pressure that they had early doors. And then once we started scoring, they didn't really have a plan B for what they was going to do. Um, they didn't get the away goal. They they ended up conceding three and the early goal in the home leg completely killed the tie. But yeah, I'm excited to see how far we're able to take this. There's some cracking uh, draw in this round though. I think uh, Olympiakos and Besiktas is mm. going to be literal fireworks. Leon and Rome is the glamour tie of it. But I, I think Olympiakos and Besiktas, you know what? If I had the chance, mate, I would take me and you <laughs> Olympiakos and Besiktas because I think that would be an experience. Yeah, an experience where potentially we'd have to wear some sort of stab-proof vests and maybe some fireproof clothing. Yeah, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's that's an interesting one from you, Alison. In terms of uh, the Saint-Étienne thing, it was quite interesting. Their press was uh, Haruma and Savant in the first leg worked very well. Two midfielders, two wingers playing from the front. And then at the home leg, they played more of a big target man striker in Burkic. So it was, a, it was a different approach from the Saint-Étienne boss. One last question. Uh, Mustafa asks, who would you rather have, Saul Niguez or Bernardo Silva? Quick fire. Who are you going with, Alson? Saul. Saul. Fair. I think we I... need a bit more grit. I didn't know grit. Everyone likes a flying winger, don't they? But <laughs> no, I'm going to say Saul. We need that more. We need a, a bit more of a central sort of bite in a team. I reckon. See, I'm going to go with uh, Bernardo Silva's creativity, his goals, his uh, ability on the ball. We'll give United the extra element going forward. But anyway, guys, that has been that for the Q&A today. Make sure you go and follow Stephen Halson on Twitter and jump over and subscribe to Full Time Devils. Check them out on Twitter. And also, Halson, you've got a few YouTube channels you want to plug? Uh, yeah, just stick to a football one, unless you're really into gaming or weird shit. There, there's several <laughs> channels on there, but also a podcast on iTunes as well, which is out every single Thursday. Sweet. Anyway, cheers, Halson. Cheers for watching, guys. Make sure you like and subscribe to Statman Day for some more fun and some podcasts. Until next week, this has been episode 10. See you later.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 